Welcome to the Ephesiology Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the study of the early Christian movement and its implications for the church today. Today, we are with Michael, our resident Ephesiologist. I am Andrew Johnson, an associate pastor at Neartown Church in Houston, Texas. And we have an incredible guest with us today, Matt Marino. Matt is the lead pastor of Trinity Parish in St. Augustine, Florida. And he also, either by benefit or something he tries to hide from people, is one of my dear friends. So, Matt, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> I tried to hide that. It's one of the few things I have going for me, brother. <laughs> well, Matt, aside from me telling everybody that you are one of my dear friends, uh, why don't you tell us uh, some important things about yourself so that our listeners um, can get to know who you are and even why we are so happy to have you on today. So, once upon a time, a friend of mine in Wickenburg, Arizona, asked me, so what is there about yourself that you'd like for me to know? <laughs> it was the most awkward question ever. <laughs> I don't know. I, don't know. Um, uh, I was an evangelistic atheist as a teenager who's now an Episcopal priest. That's not the usual career trajectory. But I was, but I was, an, I was an evangelical atheist long before it was cool. You know, once right. it becomes cool, I'm off. Yeah, so, you're done. I'm done. I'm done. I've, I've got no energy for cool. I can't pull it off. You know, um, I think the most important thing you ought to know is that the idea that I would be on a uh, on a podcast about raising kids is is just a riot to me. It's God's sense of humor. I'm not sure we did anything particularly well. Our kids just turned out OK. <laughs> uh, so who is we? And who are your kids? Yeah, yeah, it's probably much more about my wife. So um, I've been married for 32 years to Carrie. Um, She's a girl that I spent four or five years chasing. Well, probably (laughs) chasing before she said yes. She gave me a lot of this. I like you, not that much. Mm -hmm. And um, and all my friends said, hey, man, you're you really you're going to figure out how not to graduate to like stick around and try to get this girl to like you. It's like, yes, that's exactly what I'm doing. You could be going to seminary. You're kind of a, that's kind of a loser move, dude. It's like, I'm only a loser if she doesn't go for it. Like this is the coolest. Right. No, if she goes for it, I'm the smartest guy. I ever say you had your eyes on the prize. (laughs) Totally. Totally. I knew what I was about. Um, And five years later, after we got married, we started having kids like we liked each other so much. We waited a a, a while and then kids didn't seem to want to come. So we waited a little while longer. And then um, and then at about, you know, at 30 and 33, we had two kids and um, daughter Gabrielle, who's now 27 and son Luke. And um, they are both. Um, they love the Lord. They're active in ministry. They serve in their churches and they tithe even. So um, I like my kids and I like their faith. They're, they're just, they're, they're awesome. I like them. Yeah. That say, is so I, neat. I have met his children and they are beyond wonderful. And my kids liked hanging out with his kids. 
and they just wanted <laughs> to hang out with them. And so it was great for us. Cause like, Hey, we can hang out as parents. Um, so, um, they asked about his kids after we left. Um, so I can, I can attest your kids are great. Your hmm. kids. Are yeah. Great. You're so blessed by our kids. And, um, you know, I mean, every, every parent tries hard, like parenting is just hard, right? And every parent tries really hard. And, and when they turn out, you know, it was a little bit like blessing in ministry, you know, like everyone in ministry is doing the same thing every year. And when the Lord blesses it and it grows, you look really smart. And when he doesn't, you look really dumb, but you're, you're doing the right things for the right reasons. You hope year in and year out. And it's just kind of up to the Lord as to whether he brings increase or not. And I sort of feel like parenting has got a lot of that to it. Hmm. Hmm. Well, Michael, why, why are we having Matt on today? Why have we asked him to bless us with his presence? Well, I started to think that uh, I, I, we needed to have him on to coach uh, to young men how to strategically date their wives. I mean, that is one of the most <laughs> awesome stories uh, I've heard of strategic dating, uh, d- delaying your graduation. Oh, yeah. But, uh, I, I arranged to go up three credits short on my graduation. <laughs> yeah. Oh, good. <laughs> Well, I, th- I think the next time, Matt, we need to have your wife on here and give us the other side of the story. <laughs> she she would corroborate that. The, <laughs> uh, I, I think parenting is probably like 90% the Lord and 80 per, 8% my sharp kids and 2% parenting, of which most mm. of that was probably my wife. Yeah. <laughs> so you're taking decimal points of oh, yeah, pride yeah. here. At best, at best. Yeah. Wow. Well, Andrew, we're we're coming together uh, today to continue this series on raising resilient children. And, you know, we've come to the point to recognize that um, we really want to be a resource to parents. As we've been talking about a physiology, it just is so clear that Paul's admonition, particularly to fathers in Ephesians chapter six, is something that we want to emphasize. And so, we're trying to be a resource for parents as they're discipling their children. And, and today uh, we have Matt on and you as a pastor, both of you, uh, talking about what, what, uh, what do pastors want parents to know about discipling their children? Okay. So the pitch is we are pastors. We have people at our church who are parents. Um, I will say reflectively, and Matt, I would love to hear your thoughts on this. It seems that in my own growing up experience, and one that has been duplicated in many churches, especially bigger churches, I would say closer to the suburbs, there's a lot of thought. Well, there is this very good thought, which is I want my kids to love Jesus and Mm. I want my kids to follow Jesus. And then those parents or those church staffs, look at what happens on a Sunday morning from the pulpit. And they think this must be really boring. Our kids are never going to want to go for this. I know let's make a youth ministry. Let's make a really super cool youth ministry. Let's hire super cool youth pastors. And what we'll do is we'll get our kids into those environments. And now those people will help our children follow Jesus. It seems like there's a very clear start and a very clear end, and there's no way that this can go wrong. 
So Matt, do you think that is probably, is that why we brought you on? Was that, did we already figure out the answer? And Talk against it? the one-year Mickey Mouse model of youth ministry. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, you know, so, so first of all, I'd just like to say, um, as a parent, I did everything, almost everything wrong. Our kids, and, and a lot of these things, our friends mocked us for we we had our kids in the wrong schools. We had our kids in the wrong sports. We had our kids with the wrong coaches in the wrong leagues, with the wrong friends, with the wrong discipline, and and somehow um, somehow our kids thrived anyway. So you can make a ton of mistakes as a parent, and your kids turn out okay. Um, and and I think if you get the big rocks right. Yeah, I think it was who was who was the guy that did um, I'm trying to, seven habits of highly effective people. Mm-hmm. Stephen Covey. He had a thing where where he tried to get a pile of rocks, a pile of gravel, and a pile of sand all into this jug, and and everybody would like start by pouring in the sand and the gravel and the rocks, and there clearly wasn't enough space for it to work, and. The way it had to work is you had to put the big rocks in first and then put the sand in and shake. And if you put the sand in and shook and filled in and all the cracks, then then the whole thing worked. But you had to have the big rocks in first. And I think parenting is is that. I think if you get the big rocks in first, it all works out okay. And, um, and so, uh, tell us about those big rocks. What? What do they look like? What what are they? Are they teaching? Are they activities? Well, so a few years ago, there was a there was um, a few years ago, a guy named Christian Smith released this book that was a summary of the largest study ever done on the beliefs of American teenagers. It's called the National Survey of Youth and Religion, and he wrote this book. On on coming out of it, where he described the beliefs of American teenagers as moralistic therapeutic deism, mm-hmm. and that was what all the research boiled down to: moralistic, do more good things, do less bad things; therapeutic, because if you do more good things, you'll feel good about yourself, and if you do more bad things, you'll feel bad about yourself; and deism, just enough God to make you feel good about the good and bad about the bad, and unfortunately. Our parenting and our church going all feeds into that. Mm-hmm. You know, when when Andy Stanley says, I don't teach the Bible, I teach um, life skills, and I use the Bible as a source book, you know, that's moralism. Mm-hmm. You know, a Christian veneer on moralism, but and, and then coming out of that national search, but by the way, the book was called Soul Searching. It was, I think it was the mid-90s. And um Coming out of that work, no, no, mid early two thousands. Coming out of that work, Ken decrees early two thousands, yeah, early two, yeah, early two thousands. So, so there was a the head of youth ministry at Princeton, Ken decrees Dean wrote a book that was like, well, let's take the ones who do have robust faith, and let's figure out what the ones who have robust faith have. And she found five cate- five things that ca- characterized the faith of highly committed teenagers. You know, the first one was 
they um, they generally had a um, they the ones with a deeply committed faith all had a community that they were involved in. They had a creed that they believed and could articulate. Mm. So you got to be able to articulate it. Like like that's pretty easy for us because we stand up every Sunday and recite the creed. Um, Third, they had a mission they gave themselves to. Fourth, they had a testimony of God's actual action in their life. They had a a one-on-one experience of Jesus. Andrews, if my kids just love Jesus. And then five five was an eschatological hope. They'd have some sense that the world was going to get better as a as a result of people walking with God. Mm. And and so um there are a lot of things we want for our kids and you know like a volleyball scholarship or whatever. And the bottom line is the volleyball coach won't be there for you usually when the chips are down. You know, the volleyball coach you're not going to carry with you for life. And the youth ministry you won't carry with you for life. But the church will. And, and part of the problem is that in, in the evangelical church, I mean, I, I ended up in the Episcopal church because of this. In the evangelical church, we did not have a theology of church. There was really no ecclesiology mm. other than we're not Rome. <laughs> you know, it was like we were really busy being not Rome. <laughs> you can't say, we can't say what we are, but we can tell you what we're not real fast. That's right. That's right. Um, and, and so um, I think though, if, if you create a situation where your kids have those, those five things, then, then you end up in a place where, um, where you can, where you have kids that have a highly committed faith that they carry with them for years. It's interesting when, when, um, when Dean did that research, they could not find enough kids with a robust Christian faith, they had to pad their, their research base with LDS kids. Oh, no kidding. You know what? I think I I remember that. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So now this hat that, wow. Okay. So do you think, so again, we're, we're asking, we're on this podcast under the premise of what would pastors, what pastors want all the parents to know about discipling their kids in the faith. I was about to ask, do you think those five are sufficient to be the five rocks that Dean discovered? But if they padded their information using LDS kids, does that <laughs> does that support or does that? Well, so, so maybe what it tells you is that those five things, that human nature is human nature. So those five things build a robust faith regardless of what your faith system is. And then the question is, is your faith system built on truth? Or is that built on the, the word of God and the revealed, the revealed life of death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ? Or is it built on something lesser? So, mm. so the stuff that works in the life of a Christian, those, those same things are going to work in the life of someone in any other non-Christian religion. Oh, absolutely. I mean, as you were going through those, and now my memory is starting to come back as I've uh, focused as 
many already know, much of my uh, early academic career on new religious movements. And you describe five things that are characteristic in those movements that make them successful and being able to attract and to hold on to uh, mm-hmm. devoted uh, participants. And so those, those same things uh, uh, are relevant even for us um, as we yeah. think about. And it, and it goes back to, Andrew, what we talk about over and over again, um, how important it is for us to build an identity and uh and how that really helps to shape uh, our lives as well as our children's lives yeah i mean i think what we did so so i when i was a young guy on young life staff and had two little kids we were doing young life club in the home of this kind of fantastic really great Spanish teacher at the local high school and her husband, who was the assistant superintendent about to become the superintendent of schools of the high school district. And it was a fascinating district because it was the school district. It was the only district in America that took kids out of failing elementary schools and turned them into highly achieving high school schools. So generally kids test scores start out okay and decline as they go through their schooling years. In this case, this area had had an elementary district with kids that were failing woefully and the high school had these great outcomes like you know like they were turning it around for kids and and this guy and his wife they had they had three kids and their kids were all were all just fantastic and in fact they were they were all three student body presidents and um, of their high school and so i just remember sitting with them one time but it's at, you know, at their kitchen counter bar thing and saying, hey, tell me what it is you guys did as parents. And they were like, you know, yeah, I mean, yeah, we just, you know, we make them work really hard on spring break. And I'm like, no, 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 don't, don't shine me along. You guys have done something really well. I want to know your secret sauce. Like, like, what did you do to turn your kids into such awesome, winsome, just solid kids. Hmm. And they had a few things that they, that they shared that I think were, were really pretty helpful. You know, one of the things they said was, um, was, you know, sort of a version of the old, um, the, the old Hillary Clinton, it takes a village to raise your kids. And they just said, hey, we think kids without enough to do, we think that's a really bad idea. We're, we're making sure every kid is in multiple sports in our, in our high school district. We wanted our kids to be, to be busy and not sitting around with nothing to do. Well, now that's like every kid today, right? So, right. That's the kid, definition of everybody. Yeah, that's the definition of every kid. So, so I think like not all of it is still appropriate, but um, they, they, um, they talk to their kids about God's love. And, and so I just think meals and bedtimes are gold and, mm. and school pickup. So as a dad, I tried to get on as many school pickups as I could because I always wanted to talk to kids on the way home from school. And then mealtime, we would do like we did the, the, um, the 50 great Bible passages, you know, one year. We'd read one a night at, at the dinner table. 
And so we just always talk at the dinner table. And then we had these elaborate meal rituals and bedtime rituals. And, um, you know, the, you know, like we had these family rituals, like one of them was every time my kids left for school, we would, we had this thing where I'd say, study hard, be kind to others and always call on the name of, and I'd wait for the kid to yell back Jesus. And I remember once as a senior in high school, by the way, both of my kids were also student body presidents, which um, our kids were terrible athletes. You know, you know, like there's for every parent bragging about their kids athletic prowess, they're beating up on some other poor victim kid. Our kids <laughs> ministry to those parents was to give their kids someone to whoop up on, on a sporting. Oh, most definitely. <laughs> so, so like they were, they were not good athletes and um, they got that from their parents. And, and so, um, but they, but they were really active in student government. And so my son is walking across the street at his school. He went to a school that was um, that, that my son went to the public school. My daughter went to a Christian school my son's school was 80% non-Anglo and the student council he led was 90% non-Anglo. And, and it, well, I let him off and he's walking across the street in front of all of his friends. And I realized we haven't done our goodbye ritual. And so without hesitating, I roll down the window as he's crossing the street and I said, hey, Luke, study hard, be kind to others and always call on the name of, and he's now across the street and there's 200 <laughs> high school kids there and he yells, Jesus. And goes walking into school, <laughs> like, like, hey, this thing worked. You know, That's one day the school called us. The principal called us up, concerned because he was hanging out with with all of the really nice kids and all of the gangster kids. And so the the principal was concerned about my son leading a double life. And mm -hmm. we explained to him all of those rough gangster kids go to our church. <laughs> uh, wow. So, you know, so he was, you know, he was trying to have a ministry in his, in his world. So we, we, we served with our kids. We wanted our kids to see how joyfully inconvenient the gospel is. You know, we were young life leaders and they would have life interrupted kind of regularly with kids showing up and, Hey, I just got busted for, you know, for stealing stuff at the store or, or for breaking and entering into a house, or um, my boyfriend just got me pregnant, or you know whatever, and they watched us with you know with high school kids and praying with them and loving them and being there for them. And the other thing it did is it really helped their their sexual purity because you know like most kids go through school and they get to like junior high and senior high and they watch the kind of wild kids leading the wild life and it sort of looks attractive. And our kids never had that because the the kids in high school leading the wild life, they always watched their college leaders who had these like really together lives and and the college leader ministering to those high school kids when the wheels fell off. And so our kids got to junior high and they were like Hey, I know where that behavior leads. It mm -hmm. is not good. I've been, I've watched that. My parents will have to help them put their life back together. You know, yeah, so, wow. so the world had no, no appeal to them. The what had appeal were the really sharp Christian college kids that they watched ministering to the high school kids. So, having my kids around ministry to to youth 
was really powerful in helping them have a very different junior high and senior high experience than mm. than m- most ministers junior and senior high kids have. If I could pair it back, what I'm hearing you say, Matt, one of the things that you were saying. Wait a minute. Here's my daughter calling me right now. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. Tell her she's just going to get in line. Um, If I'm going to pair it back, what I heard you say, um, for you, one of the things that you would. Is that (laughs) No, 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 no. It's called distilling. Distilling. um, That. You think it's highly important, one, that parents actually still have a faith and live it out for their kids to see. Like that. Oh my gosh. That that's uh, one. And then two, yeah, totally. that having your parents live out their faith should not be the only exposure to people following after Jesus that should have an influence in your kids' lives. Oh yeah. Surround them with as many other voices saying what you're saying is possible. Mm-hmm. You know, they, um, there's, there's this one time that, that I'm sitting in my Studebaker wagon air waiting for this kid named Derek to walk out of his house and we're going to go get coffee. And the screen door opens and he starts yelling something at his mom and he gets in the car and I look at him and I go, that was really rude. Go back in there and apologize to your mother. I'm not going to apologize. And, and when I just looked at him, I go, look, car's not moving anywhere until you go in there and you apologize. To your <laughs> she's a single mom and has to put up with you. Mm-hmm. Of course she's testy. Now go tell her you're sorry. And he's like, okay, fine. And he gets out, he runs in and this is like a, you know, this is a junior who plays basketball and football and, and you know, <laughs> And he, he, he goes running in and a second later, he comes running back out and he jumps in and he goes, we're okay. We can go down. His mom throws open the door and she's, God bless you, Matt Marino. And God bless you. <laughs> and I'm like, so I'm totally confused here. And she comes over to the car and she goes, I don't know what, what magic you have. What did you say to him to make Derek love me like that? And I was sitting there like my arm on the armrest of the car and it, and it just, came into my mind, well, I didn't say anything you didn't say. I'm just not you saying it. And it's mm-hmm. it's not that there's any magic in Andrew said it to my kid. It's just that it wasn't me. You know, like there's a time in your kid's life where we're developmentally some they need to start separating from us and listening to other voices. And if we haven't put safe, healthy, godly other voices in their lives, they're in big trouble. Mm-hmm. You know, it can't just be us. It's There's got to be a church. Yeah. Yeah. That's well, good. I would say that's like, that's always the cheater answer. And people sometimes don't believe me when I'm like, look, I don't care if you don't come to my church. I just know that you need to be in church. Like that's critical. That's life-giving when you're surrounded by people who love and support you and want the best for you and for your kids and who have well, like n- no benefit from you doing well. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so if you told kid, if you told parents, what if I told you there's a program that is linked to dramatically reduced rebelliousness and risk of committing a crime, increased participation in high school, 
a lowered rate of premarital sex, a reduction in binge drinking in high school and college, improved academic performance in high school and college, improved odds of saying they have a very healthy life as an adult, and is even linked to an eight-year increase in life expectancy. Do you want that program for your kids? The PS is that program is the local church. (laughs) It's a It's give your kids a robust faith. Now, the trick to this, though, is you can't just be a nominal church attender. Mm -hmm. Because the outcomes in the national survey of youth and religion from no attendance to nominal attendance on every marker was about the same. It was only the ones with the robust Christian faith that had the dramatically different outcomes on every measurement of human thriving, Mm. every single measurement. And, and it was a deeply robust Christian faith, improved every single outcome for your kid. It, it wasn't the soccer team. It wasn't the SAT prep course. It wasn't getting a scholarship. It wasn't any of the things we invest in, quote, for our kids. It was mm. being a part of the multi-generational community of the church. Now, the problem is that mostly in the evangelical world, we've ruined it. By, by making kids a market that we pander to. You know, as little yeah. kids, we put them in the little kid program. Then we put them in the children's program. Then we put them in the junior high program, the senior high program. We give them a college program, give them a long, young adult program. You know, I, I once showed, I, I once was visiting the largest youth group in Arizona at the same time a Mormon bishop was. And afterwards, we happened to end up next to each other at a at the the same restaurant and uh and we're sitting in this restaurant and his buddy goes up and goes to the restroom and i asked the guy hey what'd you think of this and he said he kind of smiles and he says if this is the best you guys got we got you snookered because you're this in 30 years If, if that's what you're doing i'm like hey there are 300 high school kids in that thing he goes yeah yeah, but but um, you're creating a market to be pandered to. We create mm. a community to give yourself to. Yeah, wow, that's so important. So, so here's the question that comes to my mind because I hear what you're saying and I think you're spot on. But what do you do? What do you say to a parent who says, "You know what? I agree, church is important. So I'm going to let you guys do this. I'm going to send my kid." to you because you have the knowledge, you have the 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 know-how to skills, make the this, training. The skills, the training to make my child to be what you think he or she can be. What what do you say to that parent? Um it it it's both and so the first church has to be you. And the mm. reason why so when Christian Smith did his research project the reason the, the theology of the average kid in America was moralistic therapeutic deism was because the average parent believed in moralistic therapeutic deism. Right. Yeah. They're, they're just learning at home and they're, you know, they're, they're 268 hours in a week. If they're spending an hour with us and 267 hours and let's say 10 of it are with their parents and 257 of it are with their iPad. Well, we're all lost. Hmm. So all of us together have to figure out how do we lean into a life that's different? Yeah. So it sounds like it, it begins in the home. Well, I think it begins, I think it begins with 
moms, dads, and pastors in humility seeking the face of God together on behalf of of all of our faith. In particular, you know, Psalm 78 talks about uh, that the next generation might know and teaching those stories to your kids and to their kids. And and I think if um, if we don't, I think we have to start with the parent and say, look, look, my role is not to be you in your kid's life. It's hmm. you can do it, we can help. Home Depot. The Home <laughs> Depot that had that, you can do it, we can help. Yeah. Bum, 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 bum. Yeah. So if, so if we can do it, or you can do it, we can help. Then the what we as pastors really want our people to know is our role is not to do it for you. Our role is to equip you to continue to live the life that God wants for you um, and for your and children. And we're doing it together. So you are us. Yeah. You know, if we believe in the priesthood of the believer and you're the priest in the home, mom and dad, then then we're all in this together. So you, like Deuteronomy 6, when Moses said, these commandments I give you today, they're to be on your hearts and press them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands, bind them on your foreheads, write them on the door frame of your house and on your gates. I mean, I mean, that's, that's, you know, impress them, talk about them, tie them, bind them, write them. That's have a life that's deeply immersed in the scriptures in a community, you know, you, and you can't just be alone with your, with your Bible, you know, alone with your Bible doesn't get it done and send them off to the guy with the Bible answers doesn't get it done. It's all of us in this every day together. It's an all of life stickiness sort of thing. It's sort of monastic. You know, you look at the monasteries, England, England was notorious because um, for, for Henry VIII's wanting to get a new wife. But the, but the real thing that made the, Re- the Reformation happen in England wasn't theology. It was, yeah. it was Henry VIII needing a navy to keep Europe out of his island. You know, it's because you can only throw over the Pope and his, and his homeboys if you're going to, um, if, if you can keep them out. And the only way he could finance a navy was to divest the monasteries of all their property. Well, the Archbishop of Canterbury said, well, that's going to be a train wreck because the only thing that keeps this island from being a, <laughs> a place of terrible paganism where everybody works all day to get just enough rum for their caloric intake to drink themselves into under the table and buy enough clean straw to you know stay marginally warm that night to start the whole awful thing over the next day are these 10% of the country that live in monasteries and they they read the bible and they pray the bible and they go do the bible together as a community and they're this kind of leavening influence on the world and I think when America still had the, the impetus of that in our culture, where, where we were all in this together, in churches, loving one another, working as a community, regularly reading and praying, those, that, that thing kind of worked. And when you start pulling the, you know, the little, what's the, is it um, 
is it pickup sticks where you pull the little sticks out? It's kind of like Jenga. You pull too many yeah. sticks out yeah. of Jenga and the tower collapses. We pulled a lot of the sticks out, man. Hmm. Wow. So what do you see? How do we put those sticks back, Matt? Well, I think it's every single, I think it's every pastor and every family. And, and I'm not holding us up as a model. I mean, coming out of, you know, we're kind of on the back nine of COVID. And, and the whole way we started regathering on, um, on Pentecost last summer. And so since Pentecost, we've met every week, three services on a Sunday in socially distanced, masked wearing limited singing worship and and you know no one has gotten sick we knew a lot of people would catch covid we just didn't want them to catch it from us or right. spread not to be were. responsible yeah yeah we just we just are not going to be responsible for it so um our our 80 and 90 year olds were the first people back in the building you know mm. the people who are not present are families mm. our families are oh no we're watching at home we're we're totally in like Really, you're watching at home. You did, did your kids have all their iPads off? Have they all been like showered and there's their teeth brushed? And are they sitting up straight on the sofa? And are they taking notes on the sermon? Like, are they really participating or are you kind of listening while you make breakfast? Are you consuming or are, are you, you contributing? Yeah. yeah. So um, and and you know, um, there are there are versions of the church that work okay online. You know, if your version of the church is song and sermon, then then that works okay online. Ours is scripture and supper. Well, you you can't eat supper at home alone. You know, the family meal of the body of Christ is only available if you show up. Mm. You, know, you, you cannot put your right hand over the left, as Cyprian said, and make a throne to receive our Lord and have the clergy come by and say the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ broken for you. you that does not get put in your hand at home. You know, the so ancient you haven't figured out how to go through the television yet. I'm really confused. I thought you guys would have been ahead of us on this, like through the screen. Okay. So community, the, regathering, being in community is a critical part. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Regathering um, families being together to say, this is the most important thing we're doing. You know, the, um, the, the getting your families to getting your parents to gather and, and to intentionalize their parenting to say the most important thing we're going to do is create little Jesus's to go and make sure the world is not turning into what we see it turning into. Mm -hmm. you know, do you really want to be what you see on the news? Because we're about to, we're about to become the next, you know, fill in the blank, you know, Syria, China, you know, mm -hmm. what, what you see in terms of communities that have come apart at the seams, we're doing everything necessary to come apart at the seams. Challenging times for sure. So we're putting the stick back in the, into the Jenga puzzle of community. What other stick would we put into that puzzle? I think I'm going to jump in uh, with something that Matt just said and is a reminder to me. Um, it, Hokey, might it be? 
but not just pray for your kids, but kind of practicing that, uh, that authentic faith and letting it be seen, um, as part of my habit. When Matt, you mentioned bedtime, like Mm. I pray for my kids with those kids. (laughs) So I, I want them not just to be prayed for, but I want them to hear what I'm bringing to God for them on their Mm. behalf about them. I want them to have some of their last thoughts of the night uh, to kind of be those things that I've prayed for them. Uh, I want them to internalize that deep love that I have for them, that Macon has for them. And uh, as we pray, they used to like, just like your kids did, Matt, like they would complete some of my prayer lines uh, Mm -hmm. because they knew what I would pray and they would knew, they would know some of the, the final things, you know, that, um, that we love them more than they'll ever know. And God loves them even more than that. You know, mm-hmm. they, they would get that. And so I think for us, something as a pastor that I would recommend, um, if you aren't praying, start praying for your children, um, but do so in such a way that they hear you, that they hear you pray for them, that they hear you, your love, your concern, and, uh, well, some of that desire and pray with you. Yeah. Oh, see yeah. at bonus and material then, and then serve with them. Do, do gospel work with them, you know, read scripture with them and talk about scripture with them and, and talk about life with them and how, you know, what does God have to say about, about this? What does God have to say about, um, about separating kids at the border? And what does God mm. have to say mm. about, um, about uh, what's going on in cities across America in in light of the the killing of George Floyd and now the protests as a response and then storming the Capitol. Like, what does scripture have to say to this? Is it, This is either the most relevant document ever written or it's not. But But if we don't bring those events to scripture and let scripture speak to them, they they learn, you know, it's what my newscaster said or my pastor said that's important, not not it's what the Word of God had to say that's that's important. And then I'd say, um, teach your kids to be readers and surround them with other healthy, godly voices. And then finally, I'd say, have confidence in your parenting. You know, one of the things my wife has lots of Mormon relatives, and one of the things the Mormons would do is you had 364 days to date a non-Mormon. And on day 365, they had to convert or, or the Mormon kid dumped them. And, and I thought, they're confident that their stuff is going to win. And so I thought, well, you know, I think the, the biblical Jesus is, is true. And I think, I think the Mormon Jesus is not. I, I think... Um, Jesus, who's a spirit brother of Lucifer, is not true. Jesus, who's the word with skin on, is. So yes. um, I think we can be confident that when we do actual Christianity, and in, in we hold that up to anything else in the universe, actual Christianity wins. Yeah. Mm. That true. Jesus is actually attractive and true and life-changing. Well, and the the fulfill, the fullness of the Trinity yeah. Yeah. is in is on your side. 
you know, Jesus is in the Father, and we're in Christ, and the Spirit is in us. If that's not a safe place to stand, what is? Well, Matt, with that wonderful final thought, any any parting pieces of wisdom you want to pass to our parents? I mean, you did just give us Jesus, and, and you highlighted the Trinity. So anything else you say from here is downhill. Know that. After the Trinity, anything else? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thanks for letting me be with you guys. This is fun. Hey, thank you for coming on with us. This has been fun. Yeah. And I, I love being able to listen to stories about uh, your parenting, Carrie's parenting, and then just your kids. I love your kids. And I, I'm I'm so excited for who they are and then who you guys. That's, the, that's actually part of my, one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on is that the Carrie and Matt experience it was the same from before children to with children, and now your kids are out of the house, and you and Carrie are kind of still doing all the same things to live out your faith, and you're like, these things are still important, so we're going to do them, and uh, I love that, and I love that about you all, and I am so thankful um, thankful for you, so thanks for joining us, Matt. Oh, gosh. A total privilege to be here. Michael, finally, nice finally meeting you. And uh, Andrew, can hardly wait for us to see each other again face to face. It'll happen. Socially distanced, Zoomed kind of a format. Yeah, well, we'll figure out how. Now, uh, we can't invite all of you who are listening to join Matt and I for that future gathering, but we do want to invite you to join the growing physiology community. So whether you're an academic or a pastor or a normal faithful Christian who is just trying your best to follow faithfully after what God has given you, we invite you into this conversation. Join us online at ephesiology.com. Check out the Facebook group. Just type in Ephesiology or make sure that you have this podcast loaded into your feed and that you are sharing with others keep this conversation active. We want to we want to continue to encourage you and invite you to what God is doing in and through us. So for Matt, for Michael and myself, thank you for doing theology and community with us today on the Ephesiology podcast. <laughs>